You're listening to Health Call Live, the area's only live local interactive radio hour devoted to you and your health. Watch the video live stream on the Health Call Facebook page and call us with your questions at 447-1190 or toll free at 800-333-1190. Here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. It is good to be with you again. Thanks for joining us here on the Health Call Radio Hour. I want to kick things off asking you to set aside, just set aside everything that you know about aging and growing older. Today, you're going to meet a doctor who says we're just a few years away from some really mind-blowing advancements that literally are going to allow you to turn back the clock, actually reset your age and your health to where you were more than 20 years ago. Dr. Michael Roizen is the author of several best-selling books, and his latest is called The Great Age Reboot, Cracking the Longevity Code for a Younger Tomorrow. I have been following the science of how we age for quite a while, and his book does a good job of gathering together lots of different experimental treatments and theories explaining how they create the possibility of being more than 90 years old but living in a body that feels and functions as if you were 50 again. It's pretty amazing, right? Sounds crazy, but a number of researchers are actually doing this in the lab. The first part of the book walks you through 14 different mechanisms to slow or reverse aging. And one of them involves something called the epigenome layer. That's a, a layer of instructions that sit on top of your DNA, telling the genes to make various proteins, turning those switches on or off. Those proteins control a number of functions in our cells and our organs, and as we age, well, things go wrong and they don't function the way they used to. So just like rebooting a computer, Dr. Roizen says resetting this instruction layer, it resets your body to a younger you. Exactly. So we think a lot of aging, one of the 14 theories of aging mechanism is that you cause errors in your original epigenetic factory settings, the original settings you add, and that that causes aging. Yamanaka, a Japanese scientist in 2004, um, won the Nobel Prize for finding the four genes that reset that your epigenes back to their original settings. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, their original settings were for growth, and you don't want unrestrained growth. So when you do this in mice, 107-week-old mice, and turn on those four genes that Yamanaka discovered, you reset the mouse back to a 40-week-old mouse from 107-week-old, literally making the organs of the mouse younger, letting the mouse live longer. Unfortunately, a large number of the mice get unrestrained growth of one or more cells and develop cancer. So the point is, can you turn on some of those Yamanaka factors, reset it without getting cancer? And three groups now have reset just the three, group, three genes, and they reset the mouse to a younger mouse without them developing cancer so far. We don't know whether you can do this repeatedly. Imagine you could do it repeatedly, but if you reset that, the mouse's organs and functioning 
becomes that of a younger mouse. They even look younger. The skin becomes younger. It increases elastin and collagen production. Um, that, but that's just one of the 14 areas, um, epigenetic reprogramming. Pretty fascinating to think, though, that I'll go through some sort of a reset process at some point and become the younger me. It's, that's mind-blowing. It really is. Lee, how old are you? I'm 65. So imagine yourself as being 40 again in 10 years. So um, that's what this is about. So the mind-blowing part of the science, which is the first third of the book, as you said, we divide it into three, is fascinating, meaning you're, there are 14 areas of aging research, which in at least two animal species have rebooted the mouse or the guinea pig or the sheep back to a younger mouse or guinea pig or sheep. Now, we don't know whether this can be done in humans, but a lot of this is moving into humans. Pretty fascinating. And then lots of social impact from that decision. So if I go back from age 75 to age 40, um, that means that I, it's going to change the way I, I live, right? I'm, I'm not possibly going to need... Well, that's the middle part of the book, as you said. Yeah. It's, it's uh, banking on the great age reboot, because instead of having to worry about pensions, or instead of having to worry about uh, Medicare and Social Security not being adequately funded, if you're going to live 30 years longer in good health, you're going to work 20 years longer, pay into Social Security and Medicare, the compounding effect actually solves the government um, fiscal problems. It increases tax revenue, it increases Social Security and Medicare trust fund revenue so considerably that it ends up, if, if we get there fast enough, it ends up um, eliminating that worry and problem. And your co-authors also delve into the idea of it's going to change our environment at home. How, are, how might our homes be different uh, if we're all healthy later in our lives? If you're going to live 30 years longer in good health, you're not going to leave your home for a retirement community. You're not going to give up your home, which means we're already short of housing in America and we will get more short, which will also mean we need different homes for seniors. So one of the thought is if you're, um, maybe it's a big family enclave, or enclave, if you will, where you'll be with your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids, or maybe it is just two of you living in a small apartment that's attached to large central living space where you can have a posse and a group you get together with. So we don't know what the, I mean, there are all kinds of potential changes, but one of which is, that if we're living longer, instead of the population not growing very much, as the Congressional Budget Office says, it predicts that from now till 2050, we'll have about a 10% um, increase in our population, the slowest growth we've had ever since it's been recorded over a 30-year period, we, we won't, we'll have we expect a 35% growth, um, assuming immigration stays about the same and birth and fertility rates stay about the same, then we will have a older 
larger population that functions much younger that changes what we need in housing as well. And it's much more than housing. Lots of other areas of society must change if you have a bunch of 90 or 100 year olds who are healthy instead of living in pain or with dementia. We may be 10 years away from that full reboot treatment, but Dr. Mike says a breakthrough is close that's going to help your body regrow damaged tissue after a heart attack or stroke. We're gonna jump into that and how an inexpensive generic drug holds promise against Alzheimer's. Man, do we have a lot more to cover, so I do hope you'll do your aging body a favor and stay with us for more of the Health Call Radio Hour. This is Health Call Live. We're glad you're listening, but don't be afraid to call and ask your question on the air. It's free, non-invasive, and best of all, you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. If you're just tuning in, glad to have you here. We're halfway through a conversation with Dr. Mike Roizen, the author of The Great Age Reboot, a book that looks at just how close we are to cracking the longevity code, actually learning how to help us stay healthy deep into old age. Even one day, resetting our bodies so that we become 20, 30 years or more younger. Now, he says that level of breakthrough, it's still way out there. It's over the horizon a ways. But coming at us much faster, much sooner, is a new way to regrow damaged tissue using stem cells. Listen as he explains how close we are to producing stem cells on a mass scale, an industrial production model that will allow us to revolutionize how your body repairs heart tissue. For example, damaged muscle after a heart attack. Stem cells repair such a thing, you would need someplace between 20 and 40 million stem cells injected at least, um, as well as growth factors. Now, let me go and drop back a little bit and say most stem cell effects in the US are um, frauds. That is, they give you growth factors, which may be the healthy thing, but they're giving you 500 to 800, maybe as many as 8,000 stem cells. We really need 20 to 40 million. So you're not getting any effect from the stem cell. What happens and why do we know that stem cells are so important in repair? Well, if you get a heart attack or stroke and you get to the hospital in time, you not only restore blood flow, important to saving some of the marginal cells, but it, the growth factors released by the dying cells call forth your stem cells, which then come in and over a period of six weeks or a little longer, repair that area. So you get to the hospital fast enough to get your own stem cells to repair. But we run out of stem cells. Stems, our own stem cells only duplicate 70 to 140 times what's called the Hayflick limit. So what do you want to do? You would like to take a few of your stem cells, grow them in culture, the 20 to 40 million, and give them back to yourself. Mm -hmm. That one-off is very expensive. But if on the other hand, you can knock out the immunogenicity of stem cells and grow sheets of them in a mass production way, then you can give them to anyone, give heart stem cells 
to anybody who has a heart attack or brain stem cells to anyone who's had a uh, stroke or muscle to, or cartilage once to anyone. And the key is blocking the immunogenicity. Well, a guy named American scientist named Mike West found the technique for doing that. In Japan, again, um, they're mass producing these stem cells. And the first trial on people with what is called heart failure, giving them heart stem cells, has started using these mass produced immuno incompetent um, or not causing immunogenicity stem cells. So in other so words, that's a promise. can go into anybody without causing the type of rejection, organ rejection that we see without the need for those anti-rejection you know, medications. I, I needed you to help write the book. You say it so clearly. <laughs> um, that's right. So uh, we're close to that. When, how soon is that going to pop? Is that another decade away or do we know? That's probably, you know, if it works, first results will probably be in in three years and then it'll be three years after that. So seven years before it would become commercially available in the United States. It's going to be revolutionary for anybody with arthritis and joint damage and so many other tissue-related failures. That's going to be significant. Uh, tell me a thing or two about um, dementia. What's out there in the future that makes, because to me, I mean, uh, Dr. Mike, that to me is the most terrifying condition I'm going to face. Uh, well, let me give you another Another, remember, we've spoken about proteins and genes major, have a major function on proteins. Well, let me give you a, 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 how low cost this could be. So at the Gladstone Institute at UC San Francisco, they looked at all, I think it was 1,353 drugs that were approved by the FDA, FDA and had become generic already. And one of the drugs, Umex, Umetamide, is a diuretic, $4 a month diuretic. It blocks 71 and 72% of the risk of dementia compared with people who are taking other water pills. That's now gone into real human trials. So just imagine if giving a water pill that blocks that protein activation by the gene can, in fact, reduce dementia. We know now of 33 things that have been shown in at least two studies to decrease your risk of dementia. Some of the simple things, um, smelling, four different smells. So I love coffee. Smell it in the morning. That's one of the smells. Um, onions, garlic, rosemary, whatever you like for four smells. In animal trials, smelling four smells every day decreases your risk of dementia. Another section of your book is things that I can do today to reboot my lifestyle for uh, a longevity. And I want to walk through those kind of quickly. Um, I, I Like you, I, you're in uh, northern Midwest, so am I. We hardly see the sun in the winter. That makes vitamin D3 awfully darn important, doesn't it? Yeah, so um, if you look at the data from Pittsburgh, um, which is close to Indiana and close to Ohio in its latitude. Um, by the end of April, 
and I'll give you the reason for looking at that time, 93% of um, African-American and over 80% of Caucasians were at a level of vitamin D that was considered very worrisome, below 20 nanograms per milliliter. Why is that worrisome? Because that also affects bone as well as cardiovascular health and brain health and immune health. Um, the reason we look in April is between after October 15th until about April 15th, the sun doesn't have enough energy north of a line between Los Angeles and Atlanta to convert inactive to active vitamin D. And many of us get our vitamin D through the sun's conversion. So without that, you need to supplement. And by the way, as we get older, we often need more and more as we malabsorb it. So vitamin D is important for us. It is more than a vitamin. It's a signaling hormone in the body, meaning it tells other cells and other genes what to do. It's important, we know, for immune functioning and preventing cancer. Um, and so we think keeping your vitamin D level up is very important. You know, your, your book also uh, revisited something that has been in and out of the news and, and has been surrounded in controversy, and that is aspirin. Now, you are recommending low-dose aspirin, and I was kind of surprised to see that. Revisit that for me because, you know, there have been some studies that say, well, it's really not all that effective. I take a baby aspirin morning and another one in the evening with a half a glass of warm water before and after, and I take bovine colostrum. That's what I think um, virtually everyone should do who is also at risk. Now, aspirin, in addition to preventing heart attack and stroke, but it also prevents 11 different cancers, including breast cancer, including esophageal, um, gastrointestinal, intestinal, colonic, and rectal cancers, et cetera. So I'm a fairly strong believer in that. Again, that is Dr. Mike Roizen. He's the author of The Great Age Reboot, a book filled with lots of information about advancements in the science of aging and how we can live longer better. You've heard just a few minutes of a 45-minute conversation with Dr. Mike, and you'll watch the whole video out on the Health Call website. Just go to healthcall.live, healthcall.live, scroll through the videos, and you'll find it there. You're going to hear why he says exercise is vitally important because of what it does in our bodies to slow the aging process. And he also talks about the three Ps he thinks are vital to age well. Posse, your friends and relationships. Purpose, finding meaning in your life, and play, just taking time to enjoy life. Lots of smart people are zeroing in on treatments that turn back the clock, but until then, Dr. Roizen says the choices we make around food, sleep, and exercise are huge factors in what genes are activated, controlling how our bodies age. Now, I know, I know, exercise may not be what you wanted to hear, but for now, he says that is the best medicine to keep your body fit, your brain sharp, and your will to live at full strength. Again, all the links you need are in the show notes for the podcast of this episode, or you can hit the Health Call website, healthcall.live, healthcall.live, and find it there. There is more to come, so I hope you will stay tuned as we roll into the second half of the Health Call Radio Hour.
podcast by Federated Media. Mm-hmm.